We're in Acts chapter 11, and a, a great passage of Scripture. In Acts chapter 11, Peter, once again, as I shared this morning, he rehearses with his brethren who are not yet on the same page about God wants the rest of the world to get saved, and they don't have to meet the traditions that they have. They'll have this argument again in chapter 15 later on, and, and they'll keep on surfacing. Judaism keeps on surfacing throughout our New Testament and during this time, and uh, people who are trying to get people who get saved to keep the same traditions and follow along in the same rituals that the Jewish people have had. And of course, Paul is definitely on one side of that issue, challenging the people of God not to be that way. And he helped at the, uh, the Jerusalem Council, they call it, there in Acts chapter 15. He wrote the book of Galatians, trying to combat um, a works-based religion and trying to blend traditions with faith. And uh, he's trying to help him with that. But Peter has been instructed by the Holy Spirit of God. He tells the people, whenever he tells them, the Bible says when they heard those things, they held their peace, they glorified God and were verbal and in their assent that God wanted the Gentiles not only to be saved, but we didn't have to have that separation with them any longer. Now, in the Holy Spirit's uh, direction, of course, Dr. Luke was the one who wrote the book of Acts. Now, he kind of tells something that's happened in the past and is happening now. Several things I think we can learn, and let's pick up if we can in verse number 19, and let's look at it together, can we? Now they, and you can see a little uh, a new paragraph is starting in verse number 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now remember, we are in chapter 11. Stephen was stoned and left for dead and persecuted in chapter 7. So these are not just a few weeks ago, this is, these are several years ago that has taken place. Well, whenever uh, Stephen was stoned um, and uh, left and died, and of course uh, the church received heavy persecution, many of the Christians began to scatter and go different places. And of course that's where uh, Philip went up to Samaria. So the scattering was something that happened because of persecution. Now, we know when Jesus went back to heaven, he wanted everybody to hear about God. He wanted everybody to hear the gospel. And that's where he says, go ye into all the world. He says, after that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you'll be witnesses. And you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, simultaneously in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, people that are not like me, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, you're going to be sharing the gospel with everybody. Well, for the most part, they stayed in Jerusalem. Even the disciples stayed there and others stayed there. And then the persecution came and it pushed them out. There is an uh, uh, understanding that under persecution, God's people will always go under it. We in America, we do not, we have it way easy at the present time. Uh, we think if someone slams our door in our face when we try to share the Christ with them or tears up our gospel track or cusses at us, we've really, we've really, uh, you know, we've really paid the big one. We have, no, we have no comparison to many of our brothers and sisters around the world who have suffered great travesties for no other reason than they believe and receive Jesus Christ. And, um, but that is nothing, it's nothing uncommon. For 2,000 years, God's people 
uh, have been persecuted. And the persecution caused them to scatter. But when they scattered, I want you to notice that they went to uh, places that were not Jewish, but they only talked to the Jewish people at the time. Even when they witnessed, they would find a Jewish person, they would talk to him, but they would not talk to the Gentiles. However, look at the next verse, would you please, and look at verse number 20. Now, some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so this, uh, another guy from Cyprus, his name is Barnabas, which uh, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. This is not uh, the Hellenistic Jews, this is people that were not Jewish, they were Greeks preaching the Lord Jesus. So some of them only spoke to the Jews, but some of them said, look, I'm going to try this out on people who are not Jewish. And they began witnessing to people who were Greeks. Look, if you would please, in verse number 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So Dr. Luke, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is telling us at this time, after Peter has this, from years gone by, there has been a scattering of people and soul winning took place. People begin to preach the gospel, first to the Jews only, and by the way, in the Lord Jesus' ministry, he told them that. He said, only go to the household of the Jews. But now God has a plan for the Gentiles. And now some of those men of Cyprus and Cyrene have been witnessing to Greeks in the places where they have gone, preaching Jesus. And when the people heard it, they believed. By the way, you know how people believe in Jesus? is when they hear it. (laughs) This is why you ought to have every conversation you have, and every conversation I have, ought to be thinking in the back of my mind, can this conversation lead to the gospel? Can I talk long enough where we can maybe get the gospel? I I was speaking to a man today. And I love him. He's not saved. He's of another, another religious background. I've prayed for him hundreds of times, and I'll continue to pray for him. But today, I made an encounter to talk to him. And asking, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with him. Because he needs to hear the gospel. I've shared it with Jewish people. I've shared it with, with Muslims. I've shared it with Hindus. And I'll share it with anybody. Buddhist. The gospel is the power of God. I'm not the power of God, you're not the power of God. And if you get a chance to tell someone, don't be afraid of the gospel. It will do its work. Now, some people say no. Some people will reject the gospel. I shared with you recently of witnessing to a man at the end. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm done. I don't, don't want to talk anymore. I need to go. And he walked away from the table that I was sharing the gospel with him. He just left. I feel like he was under conviction. I feel like he needed to be saved. I think he knew he needed to be saved. He answered all the questions. He's a sinner. He deserves hell. Only Jesus said, would you like to get saved? He says, I'm sorry. I got to go. And he left. And I'm disappointed about that. But the truth of the matter is, every day soul winning is a good day. Because you don't win people to Christ. You just warn everybody. You can't get someone saved. That's only the Spirit of God can bring salvation. He has to be there. No conviction, no conversion. The Spirit of God has to be there to bring conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. So, Pastor, how do you know the Spirit of God's there? You just share the word, the Spirit of God will show up. And the same sun that melts the wax, it hardens the clay. Some people, they get angrier and mad when they hear the gospel. I'm sure Saul was in that category. Saul had no interest 
He was probably witnessed to numbers of times. Probably the people he was arresting were trying to tell him, we love you, sir. We want you to hear the gospel. Ah, no. It, it, it made him harder and more frustrated. But we want to share the gospel. Well, these men took it to people, and when they heard the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, they believed. And many people began to get saved who were not Jewish in nature. Well, let's see what happens. Here we find there was a scattering and then there were soul winners. Now see what happens in the, next, in the next thing we can learn. Verse 22. Then the tidings of these things came to the ears of the church, which was in where? So back in the headquarters, the Jewish church, tidings came that the Gentiles were coming to know the Lord and turning to Christ after they were preached the gospel, they believed. And they sent forth who? That he should go as far as Antioch. Now, Antioch, they say, was the third largest city in the world at that time. The first being Rome, and then Alexandria and Antioch, most likely the third largest town in the known world at that town. So it was a large place, but it was a very strong Gentile place. And so they, whenever they heard that people were getting saved, they did not pick one of the disciples, didn't want to pick one of the pastors. They picked one of the laymen, if you will, Barnabas. And they asked Barnabas, Barnabas, why don't you go up that way? Now, it's kind of interesting because he was from Cyprus. So some of the men who had been soul winners were, were from that place of Cyprus. I don't know if there's a connection or not. They say, Barnabas, I need you to go up there and find out what's going on. We're hearing news of the Gentiles getting saved after they're hearing the gospel and turning to the Lord. And so they sent Barnabas up there. I love the story of Barnabas. Barnabas, there's several things we know about Barnabas. They'll say some things here that are very beautiful about his person. And he was a Levite. His, he was from the tribe of Levi. He was Jew through and through. And he was uh, of the tribe of Levi, so a, a high priestly, a priestly tribe. But he was a fellow that was chosen to, to be a help and a blessing to the people of God, and he was. Matter of fact, Barnabas was not really his name. His name was Joseph, J-O-S-E-S. Joseph, and that was his real name. Barnabas was his nickname. He was a son of consolation. He was somebody who, when he made a good thing a lot better. It seems like when he came on the scene, you were glad he walked in the room and not glad he walked out. He was a fellow that had a real knack for encouraging those around him. And his name, Barnabas, came as a nickname, like Mr. Encouragement. And when he would walk in the room, people would say, well, Mr. Encouragement is here. And his name, Barn, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Barnabas here, his uh, nickname is Barney. I'm just joking. I don't know about that for sure. But old Barney, he came in, and, and when he came in, people got excited because he had a knack of encouraging people. By the way, do you do that? You know, there are some people that just drain the life out of you. You're afraid to ask them how they're doing. They're going to tell you. And it's going to be a long conversation. There's other people. It doesn't matter what's going on. They're going to encourage you. They're going to bless you. You know, that's something all of us. Teenagers, boy, the quicker you can get a hold of this, the quicker you'll be uh, more used to God. Children, you ought to be a blessing and not a burden. You ought to be a help and encouragement. It ought to be something. And by the way, when you come to church... If anybody ought to come to church uh, with, to be a blessing, it ought to be you and I. We ought to come to think, what can I do? Not just what, boy, I tell you, when you become an armchair quarterback, you get idle, you'll become very critical. 
The most critical people in the work of the Lord are usually people who are just watching the world go by. They're not busy enough. And I'm not saying you have to be busy, but you ought to find something in the work of God to do. And soul winners and people like this are great examples of us, and certainly Barnabas. So Barnabas, he's down in the church of Jerusalem. I say, look, hey, we're going to ask you to do something, Barnabas. Why don't you go up there to Antioch, the third largest known city in, in, the, in the present world, that current world. Get up there and see what is going on. Here's what happened. Let's look at the Bible says, if you can, please. The Bible says, who when he came, verse 30, 23, when he came, he had seen the grace of God. He saw the works of God. He saw the hand of God and was glad. And he exhorted them all. Once again, he's the son of consolation. He's an exhorter. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave to the Lord, that they would just keep on going. So we find he was glad. He was good. He was godly. Verse number 24, the Bible says he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added to the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish to seek for who? Saul had now been away for numbers of years. Once he got saved, he went to Arabia for two years, not to be confused probably with Saudi Arabia, but probably the Sinai Peninsula where Moses spent some time with the Lord. And this is probably where he went. For two years, he was ministered to by the Spirit of Christ. And God taught him something. He referenced that as all of his ministry. Then he went a year back to Damascus. Then he came back to Jerusalem. And when he came to Jerusalem, he spent 15 days with Peter, got to know some of the apostles. But it was obvious he wasn't welcome there. There were too many kids running around that didn't have daddies, and it was his fault. There were lots of oppression and pain and difficulties and loss of income because he had, had arrested the moms and the dads and, and he had persecuted them and prosecuted them and some of them were in jail and it was his fault. And they may, they probably more mature Christians were willing to accept him, but most said, you know, I'm glad if you got saved, but do you have to go to church here? That was probably the mentality. By the way, I think the church ought to be a place of grace, don't you? If you mess up, fess up. And go ahead and show up. None of us have it all together. All of us fail. Don't run away. One of Satan's, uh, Satan's impulses, when you mess up, get away. When things don't go good, just run away. I think church ought to be a place of grace. A place when we restore and we love and we encourage one another. We find here that, but he went back and it just wasn't easy. And the Lord, the Lord, he went in and out for several months, and then it looks like he went back to his hometown of Tarshish. And he spent, town, spent time there, and I think God was doing something in his heart while he was preparing him for the next 18 years of his life, where he would be a missionary for the Lord and begin, uh, begin his work in Antioch. So when, when Saul saw all these Gentile believers, excuse me, Barnabas, he said, I know somebody can help them. I think that's Saul. And it looks like he went back to Tarshish, and he left that group of people, and he went back to Tarshish, and he began to find, where is my brother Saul? And he got him to come back, and he spent a whole year in Antioch, instructing and encouraging and telling his testimony and educating and exhorting the people of God there. I, I, don't, I don't know how what we can learn from all of these things. I shared with you this morning a couple things. One is, is not everybody is on the same pace of understanding. 
When Peter got revealed by God, other people came and contended with him, and, and Peter had to explain some things, and they came along, and God helped them. And you need to be patient with those around you. I find another thing that we can learn is that rehearsing God's hand and his testimony in our lives is really encouraging to God's people. I don't know about you, but when I hear the story of Miss Joanne Cormier that I shared with you, and I think about that story, it encourages me that God can take someone who is ready to check out, leave her family, her children, on a Monday morning and a Thursday night get saved. And instead of leaving the house on a Monday morning, enroll in a Bible college on a Monday morning. It's amazing. Think about people that God has changed. And those, those testimonies, I was sharing some thoughts with my brother-in-law today, and, and I told him a story of someone who got saved. He goes, John, I love those stories. Those are great. They bring such glory to God and such help to my heart to think that God is doing a work like that. You know, one thing all of you have and all, I, all we have, we have a story. We have a story that needs to be told and needs to be shared. If you hear something good about God, we ought to glorify God because it's in the process of hearing people's stories that people get encouraged. And they glorify God and they continue going on. I was talking to someone this week and they began to tell me how difficult their situation is. I said, well, let me tell you a story. And I told them a story about a couple in this room who God took their mess and made a miracle. God took something that was just, it looked like... In, in a human perspective, this is not going to happen. But little by little, God put the pieces back together. I watched this man, his tears began to come to his face, and he cried. He said, Pastor, I'm glad I talked to you. I didn't have any hope when I came in, but I got some hope now. That God, through the story you just told me in that couple, I said, they go to our church. They're right here. There's nothing here but mess-ups. None of us, we, we, we don't want everything in our life to be known. And, and sometimes when people come to church, they think, oh, everybody here is perfect, and I'm just not perfect. Oh, no, no. We all got feet of clay. We just try to keep our shoes on. We all got problems. But I told them that story. I said, that beautiful couple, they're in our church every service. They're helping people. They're mending other marriages. They're helping. And, I, and just to see them cry and say, Pastor, I needed to hear that story. You know, you need to tell stories. And, and it was a story that the testimony of God's hand that Peter shared that encouraged the other brothers to glorify God and to see it differently. But now we're finding out that the scattering, the difficult things, God uses for his glory. That's the third lesson I want you to learn from this passage is that, you know, God uses the low ebbs of your life oftentimes to bring about some of his greatest good. Um. I don't know what your difficulties were, but I remember the night that I found out and with Linda, 2.39 in the morning on August the 16th, 2008, that our son was with Jesus. It was horrifying. It was difficult. It was like a, someone just slugged me upside the head with a two-by-four. Oh, no, what is life going to be like? What are we going to do? Can I still be a pastor? Well, I mean, I was thinking all kinds of crazy things. You know, had that not happened, and I'm sorry about this, but I probably wouldn't be your pastor today. It was in the low time of our life that God dealt with us, and he, he showed us things. Now, I had no idea I was going to be that pastor for five more years at First Baptist Church of Long Beach. 
But the Lord used that situation to platform us in ways that lots of pastors lose their children. But God chose to use that situation. And that was a low time, and it wasn't just low for that moment. It was low for a long time. We couldn't pick our grieving points. Just we could cry at the drop of a hat. And those of you who've lost loved ones, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just, it's, it sucker punches you. But you know, God can use those things, the rejection, the failures of your life, the mistakes that you make, the difficulties that you go through. God wants to use those things for his furtherance. I'm sure the people leaving after Stephen, when they watched Stephen die, after preaching such a powerful message, I'm sure mothers were closing their, uh, covering their eyes of their children and running back home and saying, I'm sorry you had to see that. And now they're coming home and kids are, and parents are saying, wives are saying, we've got to leave. They're going to be coming after it. And the word was on the street. They're looking for more of those Christians. And the people said, we've got to go. And they had to scatter and go different places to get away from the fierce, uh, uh, the fierce of, of persecution they were receiving. I probably think as they left their homes and went to places and maybe living in tents or under the stars or going and living with family members and thinking, I lost my job. I left my everything back in Jerusalem and this is not good. And they had to scatter away. They probably think this is the worst thing that could ever happen. But all this was written years later. What we're reading right here is telling what happened many years ago and how God used that. But wherever they went, they went to witnessing. They went to soul winning. And people, may all of them didn't get saved the first time they were witnessed to, but wherever they went, they talked about Jesus, they believed on them. Boy, you, you might have some difficult seasons of your life. No doubt you do. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're a senior adult. Maybe you just had a difficult, you say, man, everybody's having such a good time financially. I'm just going through it. Maybe it's just been some disappointing things take place in your heart. Let me just tell you something. God is there. When you're in your zone of silence and you don't know what's going on, you keep getting punched like you're in a 12-round boxing match and you don't have your gloves up, just just getting punched and punched and hurt and hurt and hurt. Listen, God knows what's going on. And when you don't understand, you don't have to understand to know three things about God, is that He's watching. He's waiting. And He's working. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on. He has a, he's a God of process, and he is working. He's, you're never by yourself. You're never really on your own. God's there. And God was there for these families who were scattered abroad. But thank God they used their scattering to get the gospel to people. And then we find with all the things that happened over those years, now God uses gifted and surrendered servants. Barnabas. Barnabas was a good, a spirit-filled, and a faithful man. Do you know that's something all of us can be? One of the greatest compliments that can be said about you and I is that we're good. Now, in the word, the word good in your Bible oftentimes refers to generosity. You, you've heard the verse in, in James chapter 4, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth not to him of sin. In context, you're going to see in the next few verses, it's talking about sharing. It's talking about giving. Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, Let him that stole, steal no more. But rather let him labor with his own hands that which is good, 
that he might have to give to them that need us. Now, I don't think in every context is the case, but most the time when you see the word good in your Bible, even in the spiritual gifts, in, Gen- in Galatians chapter 5, in verse number 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. Goodness has to do with generosity. It means being, 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 taking the goods that God's given you and sharing them with others. Well, the Bible says that Barnabas was a good man. He was a man who was spirit-filled. He was a man that's faithful. You know, all of us can do that. The work of God has been built not on flashy people, but on faithful people. If you were to look at the average person that has sustained a work of God here in any place where there's a great church, it's not going to be done by flashy, talented people. It's going to be done by, by just steady Eddies. <laughs> Brother Eddie, look at there. He's a great example of that. Somebody who has just been doing the right thing the right way for the right reason for a long time. This church is full of them. And we're for, forever grateful for the people that have been faithful doing the right thing. You know what the Bible says about he? He was faithful. I'm going to encourage you. You know, the work of God, things we can learn in the 21st century from this man, from this situation, is that God uses some rough times to bring out the gospel to others. We can also learn that God uses surrendered servants who are not flashy but faithful. I think if you were to look at, you study the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, you would not be impressed. If you saw Jesus walking with those 12 men and you knew and you are especially people from Jerusalem, from the, from the educated, the white-collar folks down in Jerusalem. It's like, what is, if he's the Messiah, why is he all these country bumpkins with him? These guys, don't, they don't know all the things we know. They haven't been, they, they're, they're, they've been fishermen. Man, shaking that guy's hands like shaking leather. Well, he's a, he wouldn't be the guy we'd pick. I don't think any of us would, well, that, that's a sharp staff right there. They go, Really? That's your staff? Of all people you'd pick, not a one of them was upper echelon, except for Judas. (laughs) He was probably from Judea. He was the guy they gave the money to. He's the money man. They gave him the money. The rest of them, for the most part, were just common guys. But you know, God used them to turn the world upside down with the gospel. God used them. They took knowledge of them. They knew they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they took knowledge of them. They had been with Jesus. They were spirit-filled men. I want to appeal to you tonight. Be a spirit-filled Christian. Decide, you know what, Lord, I don't have to be all that in a bag of chips, but I can be spiritual. I can be generous, and I can be faithful. Any old hound dog can show up. Any old hound dog can be faithful, and anybody can be faithful. And if you're that way and you're thinking about quitting, stop. There's no place to quit, no place to retire in this war. Continue on for the Lord. Let's look at the rest of the chapter and we'll conclude. We find that God uses skilled, surrendered servants just like this man. And he went to find Saul. And if you would please look verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And he came to pass that a whole year was assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and notice here, the disciples were first called Christians, uh, in, in, first in Antioch. They were called Christians. The word Christian in your Bible only appears three times total. 
The term we use, are you a Christian, I'm a Christian, but in the Bible it's only found three times, and it really means belongs to. These people belong to Christ. I don't think it was probably a term they said, start calling us Christians. I think people said, you know, these people, they belong to Christ. They're always talking about Christ. By the way, that should go on today in 21st century. Well, when you give out a gospel tract, that's wonderful. Tell them about the church, tell them about Veterans Day, but don't forget about Christ. You got something, just tell them, hey, listen, this is what Christ did for me. Have a sweet friend who is Jewish, and he got saved. And uh, whenever he speaks of the Lord, he always says, my Lord Jesus Christ. He always says that. And he says, man, even people like that are cussing, when they hear those things, my Lord Jesus Christ, it just like sets them back a little bit. Aren't you, think, aren't you glad there's power in the name of Jesus? He said, he said, look, he's, wherever he was, he, he continued to teach, and, and God used Saul to teach them. And the Christians were first called Christians there at Antioch, and it was a name given to them. They belonged to Christ. They're little Christ. Let's continue on if we can. Verse number 27, something very unique happens. And the Bible says, in these days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. And once again, I do believe that God founded the church on Jesus, and then on the apostles, and then the prophets. If you're building a house, the early church was founded upon the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. He's the foundation. The next foundation was built by the apostles. Matter of fact, the early church, they appeared, they, they came together with the apostles' doctrine. And then God gave prophets. This is all, in my opinion, prior to the scriptures. Prior to the scriptures, when the scriptures came, and of course in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you'll see that where the Bible says, though you have the gift of tongues and of angels and have not charity, and though you have the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge, those are things that preceded the scriptures. But after the word of God came, then people who get up and say, here's what's going to happen, or here's the situation, I don't think, you know, there are some sweet people that disagree with me, and every once in a while I get emails from saying that. But the truth of the matter is, I believe that those gifts are cessational. They stopped when the scriptures came. He said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I spoke, I spake in tongues. I spake in prophecies. I understood as a child. I spake with the understanding as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In context, I think that's speaking of the scriptures. When the word of God came and you learned to read, you didn't need someone to speak in tongues to convince you something. You did not need someone to stand up and say, hey, God's told me to tell you this. But in this time, there were prophets, there were anointed people, and Agabus is not only the first, but he'll speak again a later time in the book of Acts. But he comes and says, there's going to be a famine. Let's look, if we can, please, and see what he says in verse number 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit. He said, this is what the Holy Spirit shared with me, that there, will, there should be a great dearth throughout all the earth. And it came to pass in those days of Claudius Caesar, and that's exactly what happened. He prophesied it, and he said, the Spirit of God's told me there's going to be a, a, a famine, a dearth. There's going to be a lacking. And it came to pass in the years that Claudius Caesar was there. And then the disciples... Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send what? To the brethren which dwelt where? These were Gentiles sending money down to the people in Judea, in Jerusalem. And then verse 30, would you read it with me? Which also they did and sent it to the, by the hands of two servants. What's their names? So these Gentile people that Paul was ministering to with Barnabas, with other men you'll see in chapter 13, 
They were, they were working with them. Now, uh, their, their prophet came up and said, hey, there's going to be a whole dearth, and boy, there's going to be some people hurting, and especially the people down in Judea are going to be hurting. And the people of this church at Antioch, this large metropolitan city, made up mostly of Gentile believers now, who had been ministered to by Barnabas, by Saul, by the other, other three pastors that were there. You can read their names in, in Acts chapter 13. They said, you know what? We need to give. We need to relieve them. We need to help them. And they gathered their funds, and they gave it to people who had difficult times. You know, I think there's three things we can, several things we can learn. Number one, the scattering times of life can lead to soul-winning opportunities. Amen. Number two, the church desperately needs surrendered servants. People that are faithful, people that are generous, and people that are spirit-filled. You can be that, I can be that. Then we need to be giving people. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. If there's anything I would love to be known for as a church family, and I think God wants us to be known for, this is a time when we have extra. We need to give generously. You got to look for people that you can be a help to in your almsgiving. Give, give your tithes in your offering. Why? I just don't find too many tithing, giving people who are doing without. How many would testify that God's blessed you through giving? Amen. Oh, he has. He'll do it. You have to do it to get the blessing. I would just say that. You can't say, well, if God blessed me, then I'm going to give. I think most of the time it's you give and God blesses you. Right. Whenever you find opportunities, I love the fact that these Gentile believers who had been instructed by God's people said, you know what? Let's get some help down there. Let's relieve them of their difficulty. I think when we give to missions, we're doing that. When we have some hurting church, I think about this church that had a building project and, and you collected $1,200 and we sent it down to them. That's encouragement. How many get encouraged by cash? Certainly encouraged this church. And they went down, they distributed by the hands of Saul and Barnabas. I'm sure when Saul came in, they probably thought, oh, brother, this guy. He goes, well, I've got some money to give to you. I love this guy. Even the opportunity to give brought, brought him a better testimony that he would be sent out of that church later, just a few years. The Holy Spirit would say, okay, these guys that went on Jerusalem, they got more instruction from the apostles that were there. They got a better name there. Let's get these guys out. And they send them, the Spirit of God sends them out. It's a beautiful thing. A lot of things we can learn. Probably you can learn more than I can learn, but I hope that we'll learn it together.